0: Hello everyone, welcome to the SNC Podcast, a show helping you better understand the intriguing world of music, arts, and entertainment through insightful discussions with African artists, creatives, and executives. I am your host, Falasha Shade Anousie. Happy New Year. I hope your 2023 is off to a fantastic start. Wishing you peace and success in all that you're working on this year. Kicking off the first episode of the New Year is my chat with Lola Shonei, an award-winning British-Nigerian author and poet. Lola's works include three books of poems, So All the Time I Was Sitting on an Egg, Song of a River Bird, and For the Love of Flight, as well as three children's books, Maiowa and the Masquerades, Do As You Are Told Baji, and Iyaji the House Girl. Her debut novel, The Secret Lives of Baba Segi's Wives, was nominated for the Orange Prize for Fiction in 2011, and went on to win the Penn-Oakland 2011 Josephine Miles Literary Award and Ken Saro-Wiwa Prose Prize. The novel was adapted for a one-woman show, stage play, BBC radio play, and in 2020, it was announced it would be adapted into a Netflix original series. Lola Shoney is also the founder of WIDA Books, a publishing house and WIDA, a bookstore, cultural and co-working space. In 2012, she founded Book Buzz Foundation, an NGO dedicated to promoting literacy, creating reading spaces and organizing cultural and arts-focused events, including Ake Arts and Book Festival, a prominent literary festival on the African continent. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. How is your 2023 looking
1: thus far? It's looking good. Yeah, lots of books in the offing, lots of exciting projects. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this year and looking forward to seeing how it pans out
0: I wish you immense success with everything you're going to do Um, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have you here because a lot of people on the continent are lovers of books and bookstores Mm -hmm. and obviously who better to talk to about the process of turning that love into a business than yourself but before we get into that part of the conversation I want to talk briefly about your background Mm -hmm. because a lot of people listening may not know that you are the last born of six children (laughs) and you're also the only girl. Mm -hmm. Right. So can you you talk briefly about how your childhood and upbringing influenced your love of books?
1: So I don't know how much it had to do with being the only girl, the only daughter coming after five boys. But I think what influenced me and the fact that I'm a writer today and that that I love books so much um, is probably going to boarding school at age six so my parents flew me out of Nigeria and I landed in a boarding school called Cargerfield in Edinburgh in Scotland it was very cold and it was um, it was of course difficult at first with the culture shock but they had certain rules around reading so for instance after lunch every day We had to read for 45 minutes, everybody in the school. Everyone had to go to the library, pick up a book, pick out a book, sit down and read in silence for 45 minutes. So we did that every day, um, every weekday. And going to bed, you would always have 15 minutes to read before lights out. So again, it was just part of what we did. And then um, another thing that I loved was the fact that our teachers would read to us. So if they said, so my one of my favourite books was The Secret Diary of Adrian Moore, and the teacher would say, if you hurry up and do your work, then I'll read to you at the end of the lesson. So sometimes it was five minutes, sometimes it was three minutes, but everybody would speed through their work just so they could listen to her reading you know, this book, and of course we were maybe eight, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And I loved listening. I still love people reading to me. And I love reading to people as well um, so I think that's where the love came from it was just part of my life to the point where I didn't I mean to the extent that I didn't think it was um, anything special to love books and to read voraciously.
0: Oh, that's fantastic now just to move on to your decision to start a bookstore mm-hmm. a lot of people love books it doesn't mean that they should start a bookstore <laughs> because it's hard mm-hmm. so can you talk about when that light bulb went off in your head to say okay i love books and i want to
1: start a bookstore i'm one of those people who's always loved bookstores and you can just leave me in a bookstore and go i'll have i can spend hours there wandering around looking at books i love the look of books i love looking at covers i love analyzing covers possibly because i studied media so when i look at everything sort of to do with books physical books I'm constantly analyzing. So it wasn't, there wasn't a light bulb moment. There was a light bulb moment about um, kind of embarking on the process of actually having a bookstore, but it was more necessity than anything else. So I'll tell you how it happened. I would buy loads of books for, for Ake Festival and we will ship all those books to... ...to Abel Kuta for the festival... ...set up bookstores there... ...and you know... ...after Ake Festival... ...we'll pack them all up... ...and I'll just go and um, leave them... ...in my parents' house... ...in Elishant... ...so they would gave me a room... ...that I could store them... ...and then there was a... ...some flooding... ...a leak... ...there was a leak in the roof... ...because it was in the... ...kind of the quarters... ...and I thought... ...and I lost a lot of books... ...so one... ...I was thinking... ...right... ...as so either fix this... ...ceiling, the roof, whatever and keep putting these books there but who knows how it happened what if it happens again so I started thinking okay maybe I need to bring my books I need to um, warehouse them properly so it happened around the same time that I was determined to vacate the small kind of one room office that we had, we were all sharing open plan one room, which is where we ran the festival from, I was thinking, we need to move into, you know, a bigger space, where people can have different offices and privacy, and especially because we were also now trying to move forward with the the publishing house. So I started looking for offices. And as soon as I came into this building, and I saw the bookstore what we call the bookstore bowl now which is just what's I guess meant to be the living room the downstairs living room I just saw bookstore so it didn't take me um, long at all to have shelves made and to arrange the books in that space Um, so the advantage of that of course is that when we have books left over from IK Festival they always have a home so that's how it came about
0: that's a that's a really simple story (laughs) because I was thinking that maybe you had to do all this research of because just kind of um sticking to that point about you came here why did you choose to have a bookstore in Lagos because you could have
1: have the bookstore in Abelkota but I was living in Lagos oh I see I was actually based here and everybody who knows me knows I have certain rules around you know where I live and where I work I, I don't Work more than three kilometers away from where I live. It's kind of like a a triangle where I live, where I work, where my kids go to school—it's always a quite a small triangle to ensure that I can get to each one, because I just don't like commuting.
0: I think the older you get, you realize how crucial that is. When you're younger, it's easy to say I want to travel far. Now, so you found this place and you decided to fix it up. In terms of the books that you carry, because one of the in the course of my research and even just when you go to bookstores, you see that some bookstores carry so many types of books. Mm-hmm. for you were you keen to carry different types of books or were you going to say we have to carry a specific number of books
1: I think for I wanted to do kind of core. I wanted to do like serious literature and um, I wasn't particularly interested in educational books which is what you find in a lot of bookstores You know, books for school. I wasn't interested in that. I wanted books for people who read for leisure. So from fiction to drama to poetry to all the different genres, um, I wanted to have them all. We have a whole fiction section and a non-fiction section in the bookstore. And, of course, we have the other genres as well. And we have how-to books. And we have books around business, around, of course, uh, the economy. We have a whole section on Africa. That's what was important to me. It was also really important to me to try to have a bookstore where people could find books authored by African writers and, you know, books about Africa. So that's kind of the main focus. That is not to say that we don't have other writers, but in many ways I think I kind of, I like the idea that there's a bookstore that focuses on books that are authored by black people
0: No, i think that's that's amazing because when you see well from the youtube videos that i've seen and even just going to bookstores outside the country to speak to the owners some of them talk about one of the challenges as a bookstore owner is that if you carry so many types of books, you end up not selling all of them and then you run at a loss. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to know that you were very intentional about the types of books that you were going to carry.
1: Yeah, I mean, even at Aki Festival, we try and turn things on their heads. So when we first started, you know, when we go into bookstores, you find that you have um, different sections. You have fiction and then you have world literature, which is where they hide all the all the African writers, non-white writers, a lot of the time. And so when we'd had Ake Festival, it was great because nearly all the books that were there were written by African or black writers. And then we had a world section, which is where we now put the non-African (laughs) <laughs> turning the turning yes. the, the table so, on his head. Yes, because I thought, you know, in a space where we're promoting, we're celebrating, we're thinking about how we're going to develop creativity on the African continent, um, I'm not going to box people into a little space. They have to have spaces that they own.
0: One other question I wanted to ask you, but I think you kind of answered it, was about the layout of the the books how the books are arranged and when i came last year to buy some books i was asking one of your staff members that is it easy for her to find books when customers come in and she said oh yeah because they are arranged by genre so i wanted to find out did you have um did you play any role in that decision or you left it to your staff to
1: say you go, oh, go of up. course i did that i that's um so the sort of thing that i'm i'm Passionate. very particular about so With the fiction, and the arrangement is different, with fiction it's alphabetical order and we deliberately go first name and not surname. So you will find, let's say, Ayobami Adebayo. Obviously she'll be in A, but she's in A because of Ayobami. So it makes it easier because that's how people talk about books. It's when you're in academia that people use surnames or refer to authors by their surnames but regular people just say I'm looking for a book by you know um, I'm trying to think like uh, Yejide Kilanko that's how they think of books and therefore you'll find Yejide's books in the why section let me just say that what what we did was we were thinking of how do we kind of arrange the books in a way that makes it most convenient for people who come into the store so the fiction is arranged in alphabetical order but we don't do that with the non-fiction and that's because sometimes the sections in the non-fiction area are just one shelf long so if there's a politics shelf it's just books on politics we're not looking about the order if it's sex and gender and race or whatever you will find those are all kind of mixed up which is nice as well because People are then able to kind of look through everything that you have and might find something that they like more than whatever it is that they actually came in to buy. So that's how it's organised. And then we have a children's section. So for me, it's very important, even the way that the children's books are arranged, whereas all the books, you're kind of looking at the spine. When it's adult books, a lot of them is the spine. But with children's books, you want the kids to be able to see covers so that's how we've arranged the children section and the young adult section
0: yeah that's interesting as you were talking i was thinking about how the library in law school was (laughs) (laughs) i was just having trauma as you were speaking (laughs) well that's that's phenomenal you've had um reader for quite a while now One of, and I I know that you can speak to this, one of the challenges that bookstore owners speak about is the issue of people now gravitating more to digital books. You have more audio books and you have more e-books. How have you dealt with that? Particularly with a global company like Amazon, people say that it has shut down a lot of small businesses and small bookstores.
1: So um, we recognize that you now have electronic books and audio books means that there is a considerable share of the market that we've had to seede to, to people who enjoy reading via I mean reading in, in the books in those different forms. But I think the people who enjoy reading physical books still enjoy reading mm-hmm. physical, physical books. And if they're anything like like me, for instance, I will have an audiobook of a book, I will have the ebook on Kindle, and I will also have the physical book don't ask me why, but I just kind of, when I really like a book, I just want it. I just want to have it. I want to own it in that way. Um, There is a concern, especially now that we know that Amazon is also kind of creeping into Africa. um, There is a concern that it will kill the smaller bookstores, especially because they can be so much more flexible with prices. But I also know that it's not going to be as easy as they think it is. I'm looking forward to how they're going to come into the into the market on the African continent, especially with regard to West Africa. Um, I'm trying to see how they're going to make that work um, because there's going to be obviously huge amounts of um, warehousing involved. And... The other answer to the question, I think, is we are very good with our pricing. We, don't, um, we try as much as possible to pass on the discounts. So during Ake Festival, for instance, where we know we have lots of people coming um, from all over the continent to buy books, we often sell our books at a loss, and we do that deliberately because we just want them to be accessible. So where we can make up for that is the fact that we are also publishers. so we can gain a little on our own books and and ensure that people can still access some of the more expensive books that we bring into the country um, With regard to the other forms of writing, we've actually also tried to engage African readers by um, I mean establishing or developing the Oneread app which we developed in, in collaboration with Sterling Bank. And the whole idea of it was to have an app that made it easy for people to access books written by Africans. And that became important because when we started this business, especially the publishing, we realized how unenthusiastic publishers, especially publishers in the West are, to giving african writers and um, african publishers the rights to books by african writers and i found it so demoralizing and i it was a battle that i had to fight on many fronts what do you think that is it's a commercial decision i mean they want to have complete control but it's also the the it, it's also unjust though and that's the point that i was making a uk publisher will sell the rights to an American publisher. An American publisher is also, um, America is an English speaking uh, market. So is Nigeria. And English speaking, I mean, English is our official language. Why can't you give me the rights? If you can give it to America, another American publishing house, sell the rights to them. Why can't you sell the rights to me in, in Nigeria? So it's a, it's a fight that's been a, a kind of tug of war that has been on for some time. And I am pretty sure that we will reach the point where it will become very embarrassing for them to withhold those rights. And, I mean, I have gone back and forth with quite a few of the major, especially the big publishers in in the UK, especially, they are the ones that don't want to give up those rights. But, you know, with everything that we're doing, we're hoping that it will. they will be shamed into giving them up but bear in mind also that when amazon comes into the picture see it brings another whole dimension to the market yeah.
0: yeah it's interesting a friend of mine raised that same point that you made was it last year no 2021 she raised that point and she's trying to do something about that i don't know how far she's going to take that and to your point about amazon and how it's disrupting the markets both in the west and mm-hmm. let's see how it's going to play out in nigeria i don't know if you came across this article it talked about i read it recently it's um what we can learn from barnes and nobles mm-hmm. turnaround. i don't know if you've seen that article I okay I'd i'll, I'll share it yeah it. the author talked about uh, his name is ted joya he talks about how barnes and nobles is having a positive turnaround mm-hmm. and the ceo i guess came from the uk mm-hmm. to to america Jamaica. yeah and he mentioned some points and I wanted to just like highlight. He said the reason why the company is doing well now is that they're refusing to discount books because <laughs> you are saying that they have no value. Um, they don't they don't do book promotions. They refuse to take promotional money from publishers because it says once you do that you're already entrapped. Yeah, you, you're yeah, forced yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. He says that he also gives power to staff at stores to let them decide what books should be. To promote. Exactly. And if the book isn't selling, they take it off. And he mentioned that the key, one of the interesting ones is that he says, we create an environment in bookstores that's intellectually satisfying. That's
1: right. And that's what we do. That's why we have our workspace that, you know, which is right next to the bookstore, but also the cafe. So you can come to the bookstore sit have a coffee come with your kids they can look at the children's books you know you create an environment that people want to come to and that for me is the most beautiful part of um running a bookstore it's seeing people come in liking like the serenity, it's quiet, it's peaceful, you know, and if you're a book lover, I mean, being surrounded by books is, it's very satisfying. (laughs) So I, I totally hear what he said. Obviously, we just we simply don't sell the numbers. We we're, we're just one weeder, you know. We don't ha- we don't have the numbers um, to we don't cater to those the sorts of numbers that allow us to make those decisions. But we will do sales, for instance, at Christmas. We do kind of bundles and different things as well. You had mentioned about
0: book publisher, and one of the things that you do is book publishing. For someone who's listening and doesn't know what that means, what does it what does it mean to be a book publisher?
1: So I think. The problem a lot of people have is that they confuse or conflate publishing and printing, and they think it's the same thing, but it's not. So we're a publisher; we outsource our printing. Somebody else does the printing. We we're not even we don't even really consider ourselves to be printers. We're publishers, and the publishing process is um, involves all the intellectual work that goes into the making of the book. So it's the editing, it's the copy editing, it's design, it's layout, it's looking for a cover, it's, you know, choosing um, all the different um, elements and making the right choices about all the different elements that make up a book, a physical book. So you end, you're talking to designers and artists and illustrators, you're talking to somebody who's going to do the layout and who's like a what they used to call desktop publishing choosing fonts choosing the fonts for the titles the subheadings everything all of that um, is involved that's what publishers do and of course the editorial aspect of the book which is very long-winded and takes a lot of patience so it's also you know working with my team to edit books we take a book and I mean we have a special, methodology that we follow at WIDA. So we the way that I have trained my editors, my and I have two amazing um, young women who work with me, I have an inter, international rights editor as well, as well as a, a submission editor, but when it comes to the books that we publish, we work together and we read the books out from beginning to end. We sit together and they get a feel of the books as well. And of course, what I'm trying to teach them with that is how to be able to hear rhythm in the writing but also when you're reading something out you're very aware of the fact that there are other people around who are listening to you so it sharpens your editorial chops you can hear yourself when there's a problem you know when when there's a problem in the writing and pick it out and correct it so we do we've done that kind of joint process i think with three or four books now and it works very much for us. In fact, I'm trying to hire two interns to come in and see if we can kind of get people involved in who who want to understand that aspect of publishing as well. Okay, that's so that's what a publisher does. A printer prints. And that's just to get the right paper, which they I mean, arrive at those decisions still in collaboration with the publisher. You say how you want the book to look. And the job of the printer is to produce everything you're according to your specifications
0: you mentioned that you outsource the book printing if you had the luxury of having the resource would you print the books yourself and i asked that question because there's another article i read it's talking about theft of books by famous authors some guy was hacking into the emails of editors and he was Pretending to be someone's manager, and he would get the copy of the man. That's the man, crazy. yeah, exactly. And then right. there's also complaints about when you outsource the printing. Sometimes within that third party, the exactly. Yes. So, mm-hmm. But
1: what are they going to? What's the worst they can do? Okay, they can steal the book and um, put the ebook out there. Yes, there's that. We we do kind of rail against that. We we try and make as much noise about it as possible. Um, on social media, everywhere the truth is with most Nigerians they don't know a lot of people when they are involved in piracy and kind of downloading these illegal copies they actually don't realise that what they're doing is is criminal but also that it's detrimental to the writers and the whole kind of creative side of things I mean if I'm not getting royalties for the work that I put my blood and sweat in then what the hell you know why Mm -hmm. am I bothering. So helping them understand also that they're supporting writing when they buy the legal, you know, go to a bookstore, buy the book and, you know, download properly or get a Kindle, pay for it. People become more productive. And if you like reading, you're the one that benefits also in the long run. But there are those risks. But what I can say is that the, I guess the other risk is that someone will go and kind of pirate the, go and pub print pirated editions of the book that they don't have the rights to print there's always that um that fear that worry that that will happen that concern um but the truth is that costs money as well and i think with the sort of books that we publish which is kind of pretty hardcore literary fiction it's just not the kind of book that lends itself to piracy yeah yeah what about a book
0: distributor what, is, what does that person do?
1: So the job of a distributor is to get the books basically from the publishers to the into the hands of of the readers. And we don't have that system at the moment because okay, for instance with Penguin, um Penguin Random House in the UK, their distributor is called or the distributor that they work with, it's two, TBS or GBS. It's called the Book Service or the Grantham Book Service or something like that. With Macmillan, they have MDL. I think the sort of smaller independent bookstores generally either use Hachette or Macmillan or the bigger distributors. So what they do is they're the ones who warehouse the books. I'm the publisher. We've got the book. Here's the book, right? But when those books are printed, they're not coming to me. What am I going to do with them? I finished my job as the publisher. They go to the distributors and it's the distributors who then, based on the instructions that they're given from the publishers, make sure that those books get to the places. So whether it's stores other bookstores whether it's individuals whether it's other kind of retailers whether it's a school once you make that request from the publisher they basically instruct um the distributors and then the books get shipped out to you
0: thank you for explaining that what about book imprints because i know that reader has three book imprints
1: right we have more than three so we have uh, tanja books which I love. It's from Tangerine. And you know, when you're young, there's a way you say, Tangerine. <laughs> so it's T-A-N-J-A. So Tanja is the children's imprint. Um, we have Adole, A-D-O-L-E, which is for young adults. It's kind of, I just, not very creative of me. I took it from adolescence. Um, we've got the kind of we, what we call like our, The main imprint that we work with, which is WIDA books, so a lot of our fiction from Bisi Ajakmo to Adebayo to Isio Sondutul, you know, those authors print under the the main WIDA imprint. But then we also have Tivani, for kind of bespoken vanity publishing. So if you have a book for instance that you've got some funding for that just needs you're looking for somebody to do all the things that we would normally do with a publication with with publishing, you know, we have that um, imprint which caters to such people. We also have okay. cognix, which is our nonfiction imprint. So we like to print the sort of nonfiction, the, they're not kind of strictly educational, but they can augment or um, enhance the educational experience. Um, that's what determines the the books that we publish under the nonfiction imprint. Okay. But you do that because it's, it's important. You can kind of, there's a way that you can section things. So there might be certain editors are better with certain sort of imprints. It could be that, and you do that as a way of, um, it helps you also be able to look at which books are doing well mm-hmm. in the way that they are catering to certain cohorts, you know, so for a long time under adult, we had, there's a book called Mafoya that we had, um, which was kind of uh, the only book in that under the adult imprint or Adoli, um, but what we were therefore very keen to have other YA books, which is why we then got the book by Blessing Musariri, All That It Ever Meant, and um, the book by um, Ruby Gorka. We wanted to kind of populate that that imprint as well, so that when a young person comes in and they say, "We're looking for books," and their mom says, "No, no, no, you can't read books from the this particular section," we can say, "How old are you? Okay, twelve to sixteen. Okay, this section. These are all the books that you'll find."
0: And in terms of as you wrap it up, what about book publishing? Where do you see that going in terms of the evolution? But are there trends that you are seeing, whether on the continent and globally, that you feel like is this is where the future of book publishing is headed. Um,
1: I think we are in the future. Um, rather than being able to project books on a white wall, I'm trying to think where else is it that we can go from here. We have the books in their physical form. We have the books in their electronic form. We have the books in the audio form, I guess. And of course, we have the books in the forms that cater to people with disabilities. I think that area could definitely develop, be developed to make sure to provide more access um, for people um, who cannot access the books in in mainstream kind of forms. Um, I think definitely that's needed on the African continent. We need to do more for um, people living with disabilities, Um, but in terms of the formats that exist now um, I'll be interested to see how, how much we can stretch it. For for instance, with audiobooks, first it was just somebody reading. Then they started adding small music and different things. Um, then they started <laughs> putting in sound effects. But okay, so where do we draw the line? How I mean, when does it stop being a novel and start being a radio play, for instance? So I think that people are constantly kind of go back and forth and you know, move in different directions. But I think in terms of the forms that exist, um, right now, um, there is space for further evolution or seeing how things evolve, but I think we're pretty much um we've got them covered. We've got the yeah.
0: I saw someone tweet like two days ago that I'm sure you've heard of Chat GPT. It's some open AI software that mm-hmm may allegedly replace Google because it it talks to you in a conversational manner so you can ask it a question and it responds to you like a human. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And of
1: course, Google, you can already press the microphone and ask your question.
0: Yeah, but apparently Google is more about lists. But yes. this one is more about speaking to you like a human being. Explaining X Ex- Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're obviously, they're like there's some kinks that they need to work yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. so it's, in some months of that, it's interesting to see how that technology
1: would be used or well, that software will be used for you know the future books. I just how else can it be used? The only advantage in that is maybe there's a word you don't understand. You click on it and it explains the meaning to you, but that you've already been kind of read to in a way through the audio books. And to to be honest with you, I have to say that um I guess I'm old fashioned because I'm old and one of the things that I love doing is reading to people and I really want to go back to just kind of reading to kids asking them to come in on a Saturday taking one book and just basically reading it for two hours because I think there's so much that young people gain from listening I think that's what helps them become better listeners when they're older it's kind of great practice to be able to listen to, to someone reading. You're not watching a play. There isn't much by way of visual stimulation. You're not watching it on a in a cartoon. It's not animated. This is a human being. I would really... We keep saying we're going to do it. I really want to do it. I want to read um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Nigerian children it was one of the books that I really enjoyed when I was younger especially um, because it that's where that's what really taught me that book that really that was the very basis for understanding description for me especially characters within the book within a book so I love that yeah
0: that that's uh, that would be a great idea as you were talking maybe think about Tales by Moonlight, although, yeah, yeah. so I was just like, because it's true, like, you are really for, although, like, yes, you, I do agree, you are seeing it on TV, but I guess to your point, it kind of speaks to the issues that parents have or complain about social media and just so much, too too many devices, children have lost the ability to just listen. And And imagine.
1: And imagine. Because that's the thing, when you're listening you are building the pictures in your mind. You are creating it. And if you have 10 children seated and you're reading to them and you ask all of them to draw the people you've read, yeah, the clothes might be the same, but the faces might be different unless the writer has also been That's really okay. explicit in yeah. describing each character. But that ability to be able to imagine by yourself, it's become like you, you look for people with that skill and it's really difficult and even in the workplace people struggle with conceptualizing you know to bring together a variety of ideas together to make one that sort of exercise of listening to somebody reading that's what it teaches you as you speak about reading to children one of the
0: challenges we have is you see that some kids in different environments don't even have access to, talk have even just been read to, they don't have access to bookstores and libraries. I know you're not the government, <laughs> but what can be done to help fix that or change that?
1: Well, I just came from Kenya, and um, it was great because I went to um, attend an event where I was um, representing Sheikha Badu, Al-Kasimi and I was have spending some time with Angela Washuka and Shiro Koenange who have this initiative called Book Bunk and what they're doing is that they're modernising, refurbishing the libraries in Nairobi one by one and I went to one, the Eastlands Library, actually did a short film and I was shocked at first and I was like, in my mind I was thinking I want to know the people who are actually going to this library, does anybody, who are they? And we got there at just a little after eight or nine and there were people there already reading, studying and I actually interviewed three different people because I wanted to know what they were doing because I was of the opinion that the idea of libraries was obsolete it was we were past it we were so far gone in the um, deterioration of not only the physical library but the idea of it I couldn't point to one government that was really thinking of investing in libraries as community spaces to support young people I thought okay We're finally in that place where nobody wants to go to a library. You know, people are scared of all sorts of things. So in my mind, I started saying, this library thing, I beg, it's probably not going to work. But when I saw it in action, I was just blown away. And the first thing that came to my mind was I started thinking, right, Elishon, where I'm from, Elishon-Remo, which is where Babcock is, that if these spaces are doing more than just stocking books or Putting books on the shelf, it they're really important quiet spaces for people to study, to revise, to do their research, and we forget that we live in a very noisy country. You know, from everywhere you walk, from the road, people are shouting. The market, you can't hear yourself think. You're even in my if you're like me now in my own house. I'm in my bedroom it's like there's a social club god knows how long i'm just constantly hearing music so there aren't many opportunities for just peace and quiet to write to think to read so those spaces are still important and the first thing that came to my mind was going to my hometown or my village which is Remo, which is not a village that's where babcock university is and going there to kind of see what i can do about the library and modernizing it but I was thinking of doing that as um, just as an individual, and my idea was to go and talk to other people who have a lot money more money than I do to see if I could raise some funds and kind of populate the library with books, at least buy decent tables that people can sit on and create a system that allows people to to be able to use it and, you know, for the different reasons and make sure we have damn good internet there because that was one of the main reasons that people came to that library, to be able to work but with it, you know, use internet, um, use the internet. So without individuals um, taking those, those big projects on, I don't know how it's going to work out maybe corporates i know that the one in yaba for instance gtb has looked at that i know sterling bank has been looking at all sorts of ways to put books in people's hands but you see there's help needed because the state is just simply neglecting to to cater to community needs at that level which is a shame
0: yeah it it totally is because I mean, yeah, you're right. You keep on hearing people say that we don't need book, we don't need libraries anymore. But even if you are a university student, if you don't live close to school where your, where your library is, there's a library in your community. You can go there and do your work and do your research. As parents, you can take your children there, you know, also teaching yeah. them how to just focus and read yes. and be
1: quiet. And, and there's a lot of stuff that you can do in a library. You know, you could play chess. You can... That you could have a little room where people can watch movies. You can, you know, educational or you can just see so that it doesn't become a cinema. You can say it's just documentaries that educate people. You can have writers who come and do readings in the library. There's so There's many so things that can be done. And I was quite embarrassed that I hadn't thought of a, I wasn't kind of trying to even think think beyond just sitting down and looking at a book in a library and when i saw this library in nairobi and it was right next to like a they call it a hundumi i think which is a community center and it was very deliberate to build them close to each other i was reminded of all you know what we could do and how those spaces around the library because of the facilities you create you can make it a space that kind of brings the community together and that's what that's the world we're heading into everything now is about building communities
0: now with the secret lives of baba segi's wives being adapted into an original netflix series what are you looking forward to most about the adaptation and are you going to be coming on as a consultant or co-producer
1: i'm not really allowed to talk about it to be honest with you um but i'm looking forward to a very entertaining series i'm sure that it's going to be I'm praying for everyone involved that it is okay because this is this is baba segi is not my book i've given it to the world and the by the world i generally do mean africa because i have been so blessed with the way that african readers have embraced it and and it has become their own story that's the dream of any writer i think so When I think of Babasegi, yes, I was the one who wrote it, but I kind of think I was just some sort of medium. I was the vessel, (laughs) you know. It's very much an important African story. We never stop talking about how relevant it is because of the the themes of the book, and they keep coming up in our consciousness, like national consciousness, collective consciousness. So it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. And I'm just very grateful to have had a hand in it.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for at least saying something. I appreciate that. Okay, so we're gonna go on to the fun random questions. Are okay. you ready? Yeah I'm ready. Okay, cool. The first question is if you had to choose one of the following birds as a pet, which are you choosing? Have an African grey parrot, an African firefinch, finch,
1: or a parakeet? Why not a weeder?
0: because I thought that because I, I I know I know it is but I was like let me think of another bird <laughs>
1: well, actually I would definitely take the parrot I have to say I am so fascinated by the way that parrots have the ability to to replicate what humans say and of course it's just that response to just being able to like i say replicate that sound is something that fascinates me so much so i'll go for the african parrot
0: it's, it's phenomenal parrots are, are amazing I, we, I had one like not so long ago and it just died oh no i know sorry it was that. just so sad oh, um but yeah i, I thought of putting your weed at the bus like that's so obvious yeah I because that's say? what i would do exactly exactly okay exactly, you, exactly. so second question is what is your
1: favorite movie of all time oh god this is so um it's it's probably gladiator to be honest and i know people will say that that's really corny and i understand but no, it's not. i think it's because of the way it gives me it's one i find it adequately sentimental makes me cry every time and the music is just so beautiful. And of course, I, I love Jimon Honsu in the, in the, and I was mm-hmm. really happy to meet him in, in 20, I think it was 2019, 2020. So I was just looking at him going, oh God. <laughs>
0: gladiator is that movie that like you said the soundtrack the story is phenomenal and then the soundtrack as well i saw the movie i had to go see lisa gerard in concert because i was like i was so moved by the song so that's that's a great choice man that's a great choice third question is what was the last song or album you listened to on repeat
1: oh easy last album was um sting um best of sting 25 best songs of sting um in terms of songs probably um rush by iris Starr. i love the song especially the piano version as well I, I love the song okay she's she's like i love that girl you know i i she's young and i just think she has an incredible future she's very daring and some we we need we need women to you know more and of course she's another person who i understand is managed by her mom mm. and i love that i love that her mom is kind of walking her through her that the navigating that what can be a very complex world of yeah. showbiz. Yeah,
0: That's amazing, I didn't, I didn't know that. Fourth question is, what are two important things
1: that you have learned about life? The most important thing I think is is to spend less, save more. And secondly, being respectful costs nothing. You don't lose anything by being respectful to people, no matter who it is.
0: No, I agree with you. Final question is, what are two books that you would recommend people check out
1: this year? Wow. Can I do three? Yes, okay. you can. So one, we are publishing, um, and I'm going to be very selfish here and talk about some of the fantastic books that, that we're publishing. We are publishing Ayobami Ayub- Adebayo's new book, A Spell of Good Things. We are publishing BCR Japan's new novel, The Daughter in Exile. And we're publishing a book called The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy africa which is just a genius book. You know, it's a debut by a mathematician called Stephen Buoro. So we're very excited about about those books, and we have others in the offing as well. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I have a bonus question because you talked about
0: how you have left the secret lives of Baba Segi's wives to the world. And I saw this tweet was it yesterday or two days ago? And I was gonna I said I'm gonna ask you. Um, credit to the um, the writer is B.R. Cloth writes. The question is, they want to turn your book into a movie. But they want to change a few major things in the book, including the title and the ending. Mm -hmm. As the author, are you taking the contract? Well, I think
1: it depends on a lot of things, to be honest. Um, Changing the title, I think sometimes if they are making major changes, it's probably safer to change the title. And maybe rather than saying based on, you could say inspired by a book and there's nothing wrong with that stories give birth to stories all the time if they're they're paying to do that and it's still possible to sell the rights for an actual for somebody who's going to produce a movie that's very closely mirrors what's in the book then that might just be another opportunity I don't know I try not to be to get emotional about um the different forms that my book is being uh adapted for you know it's there's only so much time in this world <laughs> yeah
0: but it's just like, it was just very interesting to see the different responses from different authors some of yeah. them obviously speaking from a legal background saying that you know as long as they're paying for the option so that you, you said you have the opportunities to do other things yeah. I, I
1: don't want to be emotionally That's too emotionally attached to those things honestly I, I have some many other things i should be doing occupying my time with yeah
0: well michelle it has been an awesome honor having you here as we bring it to a close are there any final words that you'd like to share
1: for people especially who want to be writers let me know if you want me to do a twitter space so i can start talking to you and telling you the things to to look out for but for those because i i have a feeling it'll be mainly aspiring writers or people within that space who will listen to this and I think live life so that you have stuff to actually write about you've got to interact you've got to have experiences you've got to experience other people I mean a good range of people also those are the things I think that feed into um, really good fiction
0: Okay, that's great. And for people who want you to have the Twitter Spaces for writers, they can obviously tweet you, tweet at you at Lola Shoneine to let you know.
1: Yeah, let me know. Let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Instagram. I, I really want to do it because even my staff. I have two aspiring writers who work for me and. They are constantly saying, do workshop, Ellis, do workshop, we want to do, you know. And I don't know that I will have the time for a workshop, but I would like to do it. Whatever it is I do, it has to be convenient um, for me. And I have to be able to fit it into my time. That makes sense. Thank you so much for your time. It was Thank a pleasure speaking with you. Day. Really nice. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Lola Shoneyi. You can check her out on Twitter and Instagram at Lola Shoneyi. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps the podcast get discovered by more people. Thank you so much. This episode is produced, edited, and mixed by Fala Shade Anozier. The show is powered by Non Conform Productions, and our theme song is by John Akinola. You can check out the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The SNC Podcast. Thank you for listening.